I'm Quinn Murphy, and this is In My Chair. We are all familiar with the one-name legends from Cher to Madonna, Bjork, Prince, Iman, Sade. In fashion and hairstyling, there is the one-name legend, Garen. Known for his daring, rule-breaking cuts for some of Hollywood's biggest icons and other celebrities, he has a career spanning over five decades. Garen has worked at the top level of fashion with everyone. His list of photographers include Bill King, Arthur Elgor, Patrick Demarchelier, Stephen Klein, Merton Marcus, and of course, Stephen Mizell, whom he worked with exclusively for about 20 years and still today. Garen has had many celebrity noteworthy moments, cutting off Farrah Fawcett's angel wings and then cutting her hair short, cultivating Madonna's look for the famous sex book, creating that short pixie cut for Victoria Beckham and turning Haley Bennett into a style icon with her bob haircut. Garen is as comfortable with cutting shears and not afraid to use them as he is with styling tools, wigs and studio lights. He was a part of the supermodel era with Steven Meisel and did many transformative haircuts and color changes for Linda, Christy, Naomi, Amber, and this was at a time when models were able to change their looks. The supermodels were the stars and Garen was their secret weapon. I was very proud of that line. I wrote that. <laughs> Other celebrities include Audrey Hepburn, Barbara Streisand, Oprah, Giselle, Gigi, and Lady Gaga. Garen is the creator of Carly Kloss's dramatic chop and Kendall's transformative bob. He's worked backstage at fashion shows from Capucci to Anna Sui and Valentino. He's worked on iconic ad campaigns for Dolce Gabbana, Versace, and Tom Ford. In addition to his editorial advertising fashion shows career, he's also behind the highly successful hair care line R&Co and the new sustainable oat luxury collection R&Co Blue. Garen, welcome to my chair. Thank you for having me. Of course. It's going to be fun. Oh, good. Um, so my first question, Garen, what the hell is going on in fashion right now? Well, I think everyone's rebooting and really trying to figure out where what is going on um, and where it's going. I don't think anyone really has the answer. Um, I think this whole year is basically put everyone in the beauty business and the fashion business on hold and also basically um, retired us for a while. Um, um, you know, hair and makeup, you know, they work digitally, you know, they're always working and they're always assisting and they're always helping and they're always doing well. When the world shuts down, there is no reason unless you are smart enough to do a little video or a how to on your Instagram and or Facebook and, you know, try to show your clients and let everybody know who follows you um, how to do this, how to do that, how to take care of your skin, how to cut your own fringe. I've done several of uh, trims, you know, with clients on, you know, on FaceTime. So it's been a very interesting year and a lot of hair and makeup people were just struggling to, to try to stay in their big, in the big cities you know, like New York and LA and whatever, because they had to pay their rents and, you know, carry on. Um, Has this been the scariest moment in your five decade career in terms of everything being kind of, uh, you know, upside down? Yeah. Uh, I would say 9-11 was huge. Um, but in a different way, this was so different because it didn't just involve, you know, 
New York, New York and um, certain governments that involved the whole world. Right. And, you know, um, it had to be orchestrated and we are finally getting to the curve now that there is rules in place. But don't you think that things, even before, even before COVID, I felt like the fashion industry didn't know where it was going. I mean, people are changing their fashion schedules. People are doing shows in different cities, Instagram, social media. It, it felt to me like this is like the the gold rush of fashion and, and really like, like it's everything that, that probably you, you worked on and knew before was turning upside down in some way. I don't, I don't think it turned upside. Well, yes, it did turn upside down. I think (laughs) the biggest, I think the biggest loss was the importance of magazines and actual tactile um, information that you could save. Um, Why is that important though? I think it's important because it gave, um, you know, it, you have, um, what do you call it? Um, people that are, you know, they're making a living out of just being the like Instagram. live streaming, themselves. Live, you know, the YouTubes, yeah. you know, showing how to curl their hair, you know, seeing, showing how they do this and that. And I think it, it's, we've gotten stayed and kind of stuck in, um, in a world where, you know, a, one or two looks are driven by the per, like kids that aren't, um, I guess they're not professionals, you know, they're right. just, they're a whim, you know, and they don't take, I, I'm not insulting. I don't want to be insulting because I do learn from them. Um, I learn how to try to make it more flexible and a little more, separated and, and try to make it more, I'm used to individuality. Um, I'm used to uh, making someone feel as beautiful as they can instead of following a trend, meaning a trend that someone came up with that um, you and I might not think it's so cool, but then you have young kids all copying it. And then you have, you know, women, that have been home they're they've been hurt the hardest because they not only have to do their work from home, but they have to take care of their kids and they have to do everything themselves. Um, it, and they have to get the lip injections that the people they follow have. <laughs> well, that, that is a whole other, that's another podcast. Um, <laughs> um, <laughs> I, 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 but Garen, everything is coming from the ground up. And I, I think that social media has done really great things. I don't think we'd have the diversity that we have now without it, without people demanding it. I don't. And so a lot of voices are being heard, but at the same time, uh, in the past, and correct me if I'm wrong, because you're the person to ask about this, there was kind of a totem pole where everything came from the couture, from the designers, and then it went to, you know, the uh, photographers and the stylists, and then it would eventually reach the everyday man. But now everything's coming from the everyday man, and I guess we could say working itself up. Do you think that's fair to say? I think you're on to something, but it's working in reverse. Um, because there's no, I guess there's no leaders anymore. I, I, mm-hmm. I, I, I have to say it that way, but there are, 
And uh, I have a cute story with Francois Nars. He was telling me that these influencers won, like uh, they were given all this, you know, first class trip to Milan and he had to appear for dinner. Well, it was so funny. He says, they didn't even know who, who I was. They just knew Nars, but they didn't know that there it was, was a, person. a person. And so I had to mingle from table to table. And, you know, we always laughed together because we are so not that kind of person to just to plop ourselves down in the middle of three people talking and, and join a conversation, you know? And, right. and so he did his presentation and this and that, and he just said he was so disconnected um, mentally because everything they talked about was something that didn't, you know, resonate into what they were there for. You know, it was like they were on a vacation, basically. And, you know, they were all hope, you know, the company's hoping that they're all going to blog it or write about it or, or whatever, you know, and he's holding his breath thinking, wow, you know, you know, they don't know what the new colors are. We even what the names are, you know, it, it was He's just thinking I'm going back into retirement. I'm going to go <laughs> hang out on my Island in Fiji that I own. But it, but it, <laughs> but it is, it, it is different for us, you know? Um, so listen, I was on Instagram and- uh, last week and I follow some of these sites. I can't remember exactly which one it was, but it's like vintage Vogue or, you know, nostalgic fashion sites. And this time they actually put up an editorial from 2016 with Steven Meisel. And I think Pat and Guido did the hair and makeup. And I looked at it and I said, Oh, that's Verna Lisi. I knew that (laughs) she had the, the, the set hair. She had the orangey red lip. She had the mole. Right. But those influencers or someone who's starting out is just going to look at that and go, oh my God, I love an orangey red lip. I'm going to try that without really any kind of um, reference to it. Well, that I find. Why is it important that people who, why would you, would you recommend people know references? And why is that important when you can be on set and someone can show you a photo and you can go online and type in, in you know, someone's name? Well, see, you're, you're, you're combining the old school and the new school. Okay. Right. What's so, what's well, good about the old school now? Well, the old school. I'm having a, I'm having difficulty when I'm interviewing um, uh, assistants or working with hairdressers that don't have a a, a history of um, people that they that were their idols. They don't have idols, you know. Um, or like Vernalisa to me was the Italian Sophia Loren but she was blonde and, it, and so was, um, you know, you, you, and, you know, working with all these different designers from all over the world, you know, they all have idols that they, they generate towards to, um, as the woman of the, of that they're designing for, meaning it's their inspiration for the collection. Right. And, okay. Let's, let's say, let's just talk about Dolce Gabbana for a minute. It's also Anna Magnani, and it's um, you know it's Sophia Loren, and it is a, a familia. It's always Dolce been Vita. That. It's always been that, and it and it's like when you work for uh, them, and I worked for them for decades. 
you know, we always knew there was going to be groups of people and they're having fun and, you know, they're, they're hot or they're sweaty. There's always a theme going on or they're in a market. You know, it never really was like one model, you know, one look, you know, what, you know, one, one girl owning the, the pages for Dolce Gabbana. The same thing with Valentino. It's all, it's all about travel and the, the very rich and the, you know, going to Capri and going to Greece and going, you know, being on a boat or being on the Riviera or in a big estate. And, you know, the clothes are very grand and the, the, the woman has got this, uh, this cachet about herself, you know, the way she holds herself and the way she moves. And, you know, it's a study of, of the way people live and the way people lived in certain decades. And, you know, a lot of times we want to go into this fantasy world when we're doing photography or movies and we want to bring in this feeling. And it's like when, um, let's say, uh, Haley Bennett's Swallow. I mean, it was mm-hmm. an indie film and uh, Haley Bennett and I've been connected um, for the last three years or four. We met on a shoot um, when uh, for interview and I just suggested, you know, she comes in, she's got these little round glasses on and she's just, she's like a girl, like, a, a, like my cousin, you know, like, you know, just casual and not opinionated and you know, and it was refreshing because she didn't come with a posse of people. She came by herself. And that's when I know that they're a real actress. Mm. Um, it's like Nicole Kidman. She doesn't come with a whole group. She comes by herself. And we just create. And we, you know, we do a, a photo shoot. And, you know, the photographer will say, here's your character that we're going to try to do. And this is the feeling. How do you feel about it? She says, I get it. I understand. And then she'll turn to me and she'll go, okay, Garen, what do we do? What do we, what do you got in your bag of tricks for me? You know, like, what are we turning me into? And I'm like, we're going to, then I'll try a few wigs on her or use her own hair or whatever. And, you know, she has total trust and, and total uh, respect for that, you know? And then you get, I'll call them celebrities because they come in with a posse of people that talk for them. And then their publicist is, saying, no, you can't do that. No, she won't do this. No, she won't do that. And it's like... It's- Wait, I want to ask you something really quickly. Mm-hmm. You're on a set with Stephen Mizell or with Stephen Klein and a publicist is telling you what to that what they won't do. Does that happen? They That is all worked out prior to... I, I don't think Stephen... Either, either Stephen would take and photograph that person if... That was all the luck. Okay, good. I'm I'm just thinking that hopefully there is some level of of people in the industry who don't have to put up with that. Well, <laughs> like, well, this is the thing. Like, um, if they come in and they are of a, a new stature or they're whatever, you know, it's like they're coming into that world of Stephen Mizell or or Stephen Klein or Michael Janssen, or Matt and Marcus. And they are coming in because they are going to be, they know that they're working with the best at the time, and they're going to give it up. You know what I mean? They're going to give themselves to the photographer. Um, I am talking about when you're working with, you know, there's levels of photographers, and I love them all. Uh, but then there's 
times when they come in and they are promoting a movie and they, you know, there's a, for instance, and they're doing several covers and you're trying to do them similar to the character of the movie, but in their own, in a modern way so that they, you know, it assimilates what's going on. And all of a sudden you get the, the, the publicists going, well, you know, we can't do her hair like that or we can't do the makeup like that because she looked like that on a different magazine. And it's like it kind of stunts the um, the creative aspect of it, you know, because you can always morph into something else. Um, what do you say in that to, situation? Well, I think as a group, we all have a conversation before they arrive and we have four options that we can go into, but I don't know if that even exists anymore. I mean, after this year, I don't know, you know, we don't know who's going to be relevant and irrelevant. I do know that I do miss working with models that really know how to, uh, you know, there's nothing like a model. I mean, um, because they give so much to the camera. Um, but models are, are amazing because you can do anything with a model. But they and, don't and, necessarily teach you how to do a real woman. Oh, I think they do. Really? I think they do. I think in their own way, in the way the photographer captures it. Meaning, if you can make a model look incredible, I I think it doesn't necessarily mean that you can apply those same techniques to a woman who, you know, has hidden landmines. Like you don't, you don't do the same eye shape because it's not a model. It's harder. You have to kind of navigate what's going to work. Oh yeah. I mean, that's two different worlds. No, two different worlds. Right. Yeah. I mean, I I could say, I could say this. Um, My salon work was my reality and my uh, fashion work and movie work and all that kind of stuff was my fantasy. And the brilliance of the timing of doing supermodels and even the models before the supermodels was the faces of the 80s, you know, and they were Kim Alexis and all that. When women read magazines and looked at ads and saw commercials on television, they had a dream that they, you know, they're a housewife or they're just starting their job and they have a dream. Could I possibly look like her? It goes way back to Farrah Fawcett. You know, how many young girls wanted to look like Farrah Fawcett? I know I did. Or Jacqueline Smith. But the young, the new generation, you know, if you go to and mention the word Charlie's Angels, they're thinking the last group of actresses that played Charlie's Angels. They don't realize there was a beginning. And that's where the. Why is it important that they do? Because it's of the time and of the cliche of it, you know, because it was um, and and it actually has a better style than the the new versions. Right. You you follow what I mean? So like when you say to me and we had this conversation on the phone, you said, well, it's so great that I can go on my phone and I can just pipe up, you know, uh, let's say um, Marlena Dietrich and you get all these pictures and they're all Madonna. And you, you got one, <laughs> right. you got one picture of Marlena Dietrich and your assistant's going, I'm a little confused. Like where you said Marlena Dietrich, but this is Madonna. And I'm like, yeah, that's Madonna doing Marlena Dietrich. But the, that woman is Marlena Dietrich. And they're like, oh, so that's what you're looking for as a reference wig. And I go, 
exactly. I'm not looking for my version of Marlena Dietrich on Madonna. I'm looking for the original Marlena Dietrich. And then that takes the makeup artist to the original way Marlena Dietrich did her makeup with the skinny eyebrow and all that. But I mean, I'm, I'm sure half of the audience has no idea what we're talking about at the moment. But that's what I'm saying is like old references are new references. And it's like, it's like when I did Haley for um, uh, Swallow, I had no idea what the movie was about. But all I know is that we had cut her hair all off after she did um, um, her last big movie. She says, just get rid of my hair. And I was, so we cut it into like a little Mia Farrow haircut. And then she grew, grew it out and it went through stages. And then she got this part and it was, you know, the, the hair was just above the chin, bobbed with a fringe, short fringe. And she was becoming this, this housewife that was manipulated and was whatever. And I did a series of looks for her and I sent them out with instructions because the, the hairdresser that was doing the movie, you know, they, they needed some kind of reference and how to, so they did it. And then there was a lot of times she would send me all these you know, references saying they are in love with the hair when the, you know, the critics, you know, when they went to all these, um, these, um, Different yes, film vessels. And it says the hair in this movie on Haley Bennett was as important as the hair on Mia Farrow in Rosemary's Baby. And that says a lot. But, you know, someone young doesn't even know what Mia Farrow's hair was like. And and what is Rosemary's Baby? Do you you know what I'm saying? I know what you're saying. I'm just trying to um, get the, the point across as to why... Is it important that they know that? And I think what you ju- what you said earlier was that because that was the original and it was done really well. Exactly, and yeah. also and because it's everything. Timeless. It's time. Yeah, every good stylist that you that you work with or great photographer, um, a lot of times are pulling references from all of these things. Like you know, people think that Fellini is probably a shape of pasta, you know, but it's like you have no. you know. When you that's a whole attitude, and that is we bring that up a lot, and you also like what Helmut Newton did for women, I mean you know that would probably be x rated right now, you know if in this world we're getting to a world that's getting to be very homogenized and very um critical, you know we have to be very careful how we photograph something and how we do something because it could be taken out of contents. And it can be a disaster. And um, we've seen it happen just before um, before the pandemic is that, you know, there was four photographers that were just taken right out of, like, just snap your fingers and they were, they were thrown out because their pictures or what was insinuated or what was, um, you know, someone says something, but they forget that it's of the times and the decades that are different. I mean, right now I just saw on, on TV that they're going through old movies like breakfast at Tiffany's and, and gone with the wind and this and that. And they were saying that they're going to have to take, you know, either kill the movie or, or edit it down. And a lot of the, a lot of the people that were, you know, like the Asians or the, or the black community were saying, I don't think you need to take it 
kill the movie. All you got to think is you need a disclosure, you know, so that you can keep the movie intact, but it doesn't become the enemy now. Do you know what I mean? Because that's what was happening back then and in those days. And um, being that I'm from that generation of knowing quality movie. I mean, I used to go to the movie house and just let myself dream off and just eat the characters up. I mean, all Hitchcock movies is there was always the woman was so sexy and so, but she was dressed from head to toe and she was totally covered up, but she was sexy and it was the way she would walk or the way she would hold her hand. Um, You know, so Karen, how do you take, this is more technical. Well, mm -hmm. not really. Um, I, I, you know, like I was saying, everything's a reference basically that is so well done and kind of disguised and modernized that maybe somebody, maybe someone with an untrained eye wouldn't see the reference, but it's there. How do you take a reference? Cause you don't really want to do the hair of that, of, you know, that celebrity from that time. You want to do the, the version of it now. What is the key to make to taking a reference and making it current? Well, there's two ways of looking at that. Um, either we're doing like um, there was a a story that I just put on Instagram of Linda Evangelista, Anna Sui was the stylist, Stephen Mizell, and it was Francois, and it was all on Linda, and it was homage to Diane Vreeland, Diana Vreeland. Well, first of all, the audience has to Google Diana Vreeland because they'll know they have to know who she is. But um, that being said, it was big grand hair and it was my version of what the yin and yang of Diana Vreeland was. And, and Anna had gotten all these white clothes and all these amazing outfits that were, you know, and Stephen played it up. And Linda was the perfect model for this, you know. And so, you know, if you go to Garen, New York and you look through my pictures, you're going to see some um, stories that are iconic, but they're definitely of that period because it was meant to be that we're talking about that. Um, then you'll see the sim- similar, but you know, like say big hair, but it's done in a modern way. It's just like what Guido did for, um, I, I think it was Valentino, um, a, a couple, four years ago on Kaya. She had, uh, this huge, big, teased, hair, you know, voluminous hair. Right. And and it was, I, I, you know, and I was like, bravo, you know, someone went out of the box, you know. And um, there's things like how many times the bob comes back, but it's done in a new modern way. And, you know, when I go through the decades of, you know, like every six months or a year, I would bring it back, but it'd be totally different whether it's raggeded out with a razor or whether the front is longer on one side than the other side, or the texture is all natural and bedhead, or it's, you know, really prim and proper and silky, very, you know, preppy or whatever. But I've gone through all those things. And when I chopped off Carly Kloss's hair and it made, you know, it made, I mean, it was... It was so good. It was good, but it also made a statement, you know, and all the girls were doing it. They wanted it. And, you know, so there is that. And, you know... Do you want to chop everybody's hair off? Not everybody. No. There's women. <laughs> there is women that cannot... Tell me who cannot. 
a woman that knows that she needs her hair to be part of her body language, um, that she puts her hands in her hair and she moves it around. You could never cut off Vera Wang's hair. I mean, it just would not. It isn't Vera Wang anymore. Could you cut so- uh, Sofia Vergara's hair? No, she's she's a woman. She's like right. she's very, like Italian, like a Dolce a, Gabbana. Yeah, but, but yeah. yeah, but a Dolce Gabbana woman could have short hair like Linda. You know what if what if you have twenty five pounds of COVID weight? You're going to cut the woman's hair off? Absolutely not. But I'm also not going to make it. I'm also not going to make it look like a hat on her head. You uh-huh. know. You know. I look at people from head to toe, and I think by having the salon gave me that visual, and also by working with such amazing photographers, starting with Irving Penn and Deborah Turberville, Avedon, uh, Bill King, and um, and then, you know, it was, it, it, it was Patrick all the way through. And then it was Stephen Mizell and Stephen Klein and, um, you know, Matt and Marcus, you know, Matt and Marcus, you know, in, in Versace, you know, they have created so many different amazing looks, you know, Madonna was a Versace girl, you know, and then we did, um, Gaga and we unveiled Gaga. That was the plan is that, that was really beautiful. We had to take, and she was actually going to become herself, you know, like reborn. So she knew she was coming into that. You know what I mean? And she came in full regalia with plaster on her face and, you know, gold all over her body and, you know, this big dress. And, you know, it, it was, it was unbelievable. And then we washed her, you know, like just cleaned her up and then presented her and Versace had the honor to present her. It made yeah. her look so beautiful, actually, well, that, like her yeah, features it, just she, really. She is a beautiful girl. She's, yeah. you know, she has a large nose. She's got beautiful features, but she's incredible. And, you know, and it's like, that was her gig. I want to ask you about, now that we're talking about all these different photographers, I have to imagine that a Stephen Mizell set feels very different from a Matt and Marcus set and very different from a David Sims set. How do you, as one person, navigate how to be successful with all those different kind of um, arenas? Well, that's a, that's a very good question because I don't know if we'll ever have that again. Um, meaning going from wearing different hats. Um, but I was trained with, if you don't know who Irving Penn is, you must Google him and find out what his, his pictures were all still lives of women and, and actual still lives. Right. And his wife was Lisa Fongraves. And he is in, adored adored her. We had so much. His set was so um, surreal and and simple, and the backdrop was either white or it was a gray, you know, a gray. Um, and he used one light. And every time I had to do hair, I had to make the hair three times bigger and thicker than it was. And we were using the model's own hair at the time because the light was so strong that it would blow out half of the hair. So if I wanted a wisp, I would make that wisp like a chunk of hair. And then it would almost look like it was blown. It was hair blowing away, you know, like blowing in the wind. Like Um, Lady Bunny hair? 
Um, no, not Lady Bunny. That would be too too solid. That would be too campy. Too, too campy. I'm joking. Would, I'm half. He joking. would never go there. You know, right. he would never go there. But the art of a sleeve or art of a collar or the the tone of the foundation had to be a certain color for it to re- resonate on his film to give him what he wanted. In other words, the the foundation, you know, it was more orangey, more dark, you know, and everything because everything was blown out to become look very natural. Did you have a moment with your first time going, oh, shit, this isn't enough. What do I do? No, because I was quick on my feet. I think because I started doing hair. Um, I've had those moments maybe on Stephen Mizell's set because Stephen would get, you know, bored uh, very quickly. And once we would get on a roll, it was really like a real fluid roll. And then at times it would be like he had to figure out what we were doing. And then, you know, it either had to come from the makeup or the hair or the stylist, you know, to or the editor to to punch it, you know. But with Stephen, we would always I mean, with all the photographers, we generally have meetings before the shoot and have an idea that we're going in with a game plan. But the thing about what you asked me is about going from um, photographer to photographer. You have to know what they like and what they what their what their angst is. And you set aside what you did the day before and you move on to what you're doing today. And if what do you do if you don't know? If you're walking in and you're, you're Garen, you've never worked not, with Matt and Marcus. How do you well, figure that out? the first time I worked with Matt and Marcus, I was briefed by Fabian and I was briefed by the stylist um, to say, this is what he's, they're like, you know, they're very this and that, and they work together. And you'll never know when the picture is going to happen because they just keep shooting and then they keep adjusting. And it's, you know, technically it's all done, you know, digitally and whatever, and you you know you're going to you're going to love working with them but it's going to take you a minute to get a grip you know and so when did i did you walked, feel like you had vertigo <laughs> well kind of and at the first time the first time i worked with them was for armani and they were shooting this it was a huge set but we ended up in a corner and they in in matt smoked so much i couldn't hardly see the model and he goes, oh, the hair is perfect. It's perfect. It's perfect. Leave it alone. Leave it alone. We got the picture. And I was just like, I can't see her. How did you get the picture? <laughs> you know, and, and he goes, I got the picture. Don't worry. We got the picture. You know, and then after a while, when you get a rapport going, then you then you get it. You know, the first time with any photographer is a little a little uneasy. And, it, and if it isn't uneasy, then you're in the wrong place and you're not doing your homework. You know, I've I've done my homework before I've gone in, I've looked at all their work. I've, you know, I know what their woman is. I know what their man is. I know what the twist is that they like. Um, do you work quickly? Yes, I do. I, so I, that you can make a U-turn if it's not right. Oh, you have to know how to do that. And I think that's what's missing with a lot of um, hair and makeup right now is that they get so into and they get hurt and they, you know, they, some people fall apart um, or they don't deliver. And, you know, I mean, it's been like I've worked on hair and I've done it. And then all of a sudden I'm looking at the picture and I'm looking at the, you know, you know, you're watching it on the screen now. But before we would just, you know, it was all about Polaroids. And, you know, sometimes I always say, damn, you'll never get that Polaroid again. And he's they're like, you're right. You know, so there's certain photographers that would do 
film, Polaroid, film, Polaroid, film, Polaroid, so they could capture this moment that they might have missed. Um, What about personality-wise? Do you have to change? Because technically, or your eye changes with the photographer, but what about the, the feeling on set? Well, you have to know your limitations and your perimeters and, and your boundaries. Um, and I'm, a, I mean, I guess I have it o- uh, over a younger person, uh, a new person, because someone like myself or Guido or, or Christian or Tom Priano or anyone, when they're working with a photographer, the photographer already has respect for them. They're not being brought in because the client or the model has said, I want this person. You know, that doesn't work in the, in, in the world that I work in and the photographers I work for, um, that doesn't happen. You're not. When was the last time someone rode you on set? That what? Someone rode you. Like, you know, there's a, sometimes you're on set and one person's just the victim that day or somebody's given a hard time. Has that happened for you in the last how many years? I don't, I don't think that. No, I I don't think I work with not even from a, a corporate client on a hair campaign. That's different. Um no, because I'm hired because they know I could produce it. Um Okay. I would But say, you know that you 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 know that you're in a very small group of of hairstylists with that privilege. I think I think so. Yes. I yeah. think I'm brought in because I'm either um, of my qualifications. Um, you have to remember, I came from a place that, um, I mean, I started out when we used hair pieces and falls in the sixties and then we went to the seventies and it was all real hair and their own hair. And it was a nod to the working woman and also was very Guy Bourdain and very Helmut Newton. It was a strong woman, a sexy woman in the eighties. It was the same deal. And then you have Avedon who was uh, wanted some some kind of you know beauty you know he would do a cover it would take six shots and it was done but there was direction before we even started so we knew where we were going and like if I worked with Dennis Peel I knew he wanted the hair a certain way and I knew if I was working with Elgort he was going to shoot in between while we were working so you sort of had to stay out of the way but it'd be in the way but you were probably going to be in the picture or your hands were going to be in the picture. Um, but the girl would do something and he would just click away because it, that's his style. Um, do you have an, do you have an ego on set? You, uh, you can't, you can't have an ego. You, you, that I, I, and I, and I really dislike people that have an ego bigger than what they're qualified to do. Um, I think it's an insecurity. Um, but I, 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 I don't, I don't have the ego. I I really don't. I always feel that, um, is as long as I've been in the business, if I'm not nervous when I go to a photo shoot or a move or, um, a commercial or a campaign or whatever, then I'm not me. Um, I have to have that little bit of questions going on in my head. Because you get so many different directions prior to the shoot that you are double thinking yourself and making sure you got all bases covered. Well, in your mind, 
what's the worst case scenario? What's your biggest fear about what going wrong? I think my assistant being in the wrong place at the wrong time and not understanding how quick things can change. That would be my biggest worry. But never that you won't be able to deliver the goods. Um, eventually, I will deliver the goods. I mean, we don't know. You know, sometimes it's a struggle because we want something different. <clears throat> and I also, excuse me, and I also realize that sometimes when it's too perfect, um, then it becomes, you know, it. I have to find a different angst to it. Um, I remember when, when I was working with Stephen Mizell in, in a, a lot. I mean, I mean, I worked with him for almost two decades. Um, and I knew like when he would say a certain like, let's do da, 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 da. And I knew that I could brush the hair out in a heartbeat because I prepped it so well. And it would deliver that immediately. Well, that was a, a faux pas on my part, because by the time it wiggled around with the makeup and the dressing and the clothes and the outfit and all that, you know, the hair would start to collapse or whatever. So I had to think quickly how to revive or come back to that, that moment or destroy it completely, then bring it back. Um, And by destroying it, I mean by, you know, like brushing it out or moving it around or because accidents that happen sometimes happen that are brilliant accidents. You, do you know? I worked I mean? with a French editor once who kept saying, "Make be sure to leave room for mistakes." You know, or accidents. She said, "Actually, yeah, leave I mean, room for accidents." And it all has to do with uh, the group working as a unit. You know, um, because it isn't so precise. You know what I mean? And, and that's why I'm saying it's like, and and when you're working with um, certain celebrities you know you have to you have to nod to them a bit but you also have to have the integrity of what's going on with the photographer you know so i wanted to ask you this you work i mean i've heard you say that we're a part of the service industry we are doing a service for people you're not into the ego we you've worked with people who have i mean i'm not saying it even in a negative way but Egos, big stars, the biggest photographers, the biggest, you know, singers, legendary, whatever. How do you, how are you able to navigate that and be successful around those type of people? Well, first of all, you have to go in and not be so grand. You're very, you know, I'm very, I'm very quiet and humble and prepared when I go in. And, you know, like when I met Madonna and I started working with her, you know, she used to come to the studios alone and then her agent would show up and, you know, cause we were with Steven and, um, Mizell and, you know, in that alone, um, gave her, you know, she gave herself over to that, to us, you know, like the first, um, the first time we worked together was in Paris and it was with Azadine. And it was a, uh, and that's where I did the Verna Lisa hair on her. And she just sat there and I just did her hair and Steven was talking and Francois was doing the makeup. And then she was looking at it and she was like, oh my God, it's, you know, and Steve was like, you look heaven. Okay. Now take your clothes off, go lay on the bed. And she did. She looked at it and thought, what? 
did she think it was too much or she thought no, it was no, amazing no. right no, away? She, she was, she got into it. She, yeah. she realized who she was, who she was. She had references in her head. What about meeting someone like Barbara Streisand, who, you know, is Barbara <laughs> Streisand? How do you, and especially if you're a fan of hers, how do you get your hands to do what you want them to do with your idol right there? Well, Barbara was a whole different thing is that we were doing Barbara for the first time and it was with Stephen Mizell. It was for American Vogue and she was going back on tour again. And, um, you know, we had to set up a meeting to, she had to meet Kevin and she had to meet me. Um, so we could talk and Stephen was very specific on how he wanted her hair and makeup and that we would convince her that she could do it. She would do it for us. So, um, she, we met at her, uh, separately. Kevin went one time and he talked to her about her makeup. In fact, he did a test on her and he, she loved what he did because she usually does her own makeup and she does her own makeup very well. Um, and then I went over and, you know, and I, it was when she was living in New York at the Dakota and she says, Oh, Garen, it's a pleasure to meet. I says, it's very wonderful to meet you. you know, it's a pleasure to meet you. And she extended her hand and I went to shake it and she says, oh no. And she picked her nails up. She says, I just had a manicure and I, I, I don't want to, you know, and I, and I, I giggled to myself because it's exactly what I thought it would be, you know, the, the, the little bit of humor in it. You know right. What I mean? So we went and sat in the living room and we talked about different looks and, you know, and I said, Stephen was really hoping that you would revisit some of your old, really amazing updos, you know, and, um, you know, with your hair split down the middle and, you know, twisted up in the back and not as big and grand as it was in, uh, you know, some of your movies, but a nod to it, you know, and, you know, and then she says, well, what if we crimp my hair and this and that? And I said, Oh, you mean like when you were given the, you were on the Oscars and you came in on stage with that Fortuny pleated dress and your hair was crimped like the Fortuny gown. And she goes, how would you know that? How do you remember that? I go, you're Barbara Streisand and I'm a hairdresser and I'm gay. And I <laughs> says, I know everything of every look that you've had from the Skazi see-through pantsuit with the big white collar and cuffs in the bow. I said, you've been heaven to me. You know, your looks have resonated the way Cher's looks have resonated. And I said, I just, I just remember everything that, that you've done that has just been so amazing. She was like in awe, you know, and she says, well, I guess I don't have to go down my, you know, she had this long hallway. She's, but let's go to this other room where I have a mirror and you kind of show me what Steven has in mind. So we went into the room, did her hair, and I kind of picked it up and I said, something like that. She goes, well, that looks great. Yeah, okay. Anything else? And I says, yeah, maybe a little of this and a little of that. And she's like, okay, I tell, tell Steven nothing, nothing to worry. You know, Karen, I, I, I just speaking of all these, um, sorry. Garen, speaking of all of these uh, different artists and everything, do you ever compare yourself to other hairdressers? No, no, never. No. There's ones I idolize and there's ones that have been my, um, 
you know, like Sassoon and Kenneth and Alexandra uh, were my inspirations back when I was very young. And as but they I, weren't your peers. No, but with my, right. but how my, do you avoid? How do you avoid um, not comparing yourself to Julien or Dees or Guido or the other people at your level? Well, Julien has a specific um, note to his work. I mean, you could see it a mile away, and you know it's Julien, and then you know it's Christian. And Christian and I are, are friends. And, you know, um, Orbe came from my, my camp. What I'm trying to say is that everyone has their own beat. You know, Orlando is so respectful. And, I mean, I, I, I just don't see it as a competition. I never have. And, and if I think I did, if, if you do, I think you're, you're not as great as you are. Because, you, you know, Serge has a certain... Uh, a way that he does hair and he has his his group of w- girls and women and actors and actresses that he does and you know I have I I you know I just feel because I had the salon and the and I had the luxury of having all the supermodels coming in the salon at the time at the at the Bendels and then at the Sherry that the women were so excited that were clients that they wanted to be part of that and that sort of gave me that edge of being able to cut a lot of women's hair off and give them a look and tell them, all right, you have to change your wardrobe or you have to change your makeup, you know, or get rid of those false eyelashes. What are you doing with those damn blinders on your, on your lids? You know, you told Victoria Beckham that before she became known as a fashion designer, that she was overworked and needed to learn how to smile. Right. Well, how I didn't do you say it as nasty as you no. said it? No, <laughs> You said it but, very bitchy. <laughs> but, okay. You said it in the nicest possible way. You told her that her look, she was, her hair was overworked. To which she kind of said, well, I don't think it's overworked. How do you, do you ever bite your tongue? Unfortunately, no. But I do have a gentle way of presenting something. Um, the Victoria Beckham story was, is that everyone knew who Victoria Beckham was. And because she's, you know, it, she was a posh. Um, and she was a spice girl, you know, and, and also she was fashion driven. You know, she, when she walked into a room, everyone turned around because she wore the latest in fashion. She was in those, uh, boots over the knee boots and the shoes. They had no heels and she could stand and walk, walk in them. And, um, when she did that last tour as, as posh as you know with the spice girls she had a specific haircut really uh, an a-line cut and very prim and very you know very precise and i just you know um she was feeling uh, she put her feelers out and she was talking to naomi and linda and christy and and cindy and all the girls you know all the the models that she knew and was friendly with and some actors and they were going, she goes, I need a new look. I need to get, I'm, you know, I'm, you know, I'm doing clothing line and I got a, I got a trans, you know, like a rebranding, I got a rebrand, you know? And they said, well, if you're going to do that, you need to go to Garen and you, you have to just go with it. And they're, they're like, she's like, well, um, will he talk to me on the phone and this and that? And so Naomi called me and she says, will you talk to Victoria and she'll explain what she's doing 
And then, uh, so I got on the phone with Victoria and I says, okay. I said to her, I said, okay, I, I understand. Uh, so what do you, what is your new gig? What are you doing? What are you doing that's so important that you need to transform yourself? And she says, well, but you've got a promise you can't, you know, and I, and, and I, I'm very zip mouth. I don't, um, you know, if it's got to wait for a certain moment, it's going to wait. Um, <clears throat> and she said, um, everyone said that you are the person that I need to go to. And I said, well, let's see if you like what I, what I'm going to offer. And so I, she told me she was going to become a fashion designer. She was getting ready to present her first collection. And she says, I want to be taken seriously. And I said, okay. I said, all right. So let me, let me research. Send me some selfies of you. I don't want selfies that you're all done up. I want some natural, you know, something. She goes, oh, I can't. I, I says, well, then what you feel comfortable, where you feel comfortable. And she said, okay. So then I looked at the proportions of her face and, um, you know, and back then we didn't have FaceTime, you know, it was, it, it was just before FaceTime came available. And so we talked on the phone and I said, I am going to email you some ideas and they're going to be a series of them in different groups. and." you tell me what your um, kind of attract, you know, what, what pulls you in. And they were all short haircuts. They were very short haircuts. All from <laughs> a gamine. Yes. And, <clears throat> and I said, and I don't think you should be blonde. I think that I don't think you should be blonde. I think we need to work on the color and she says, well, what about extensions? I says, well, well, we'll talk about that when we, if you agree that we should work together. And she says, well, I'm coming to New York and I'm going to come to Mark's show, but I want to get my hair cut before the show. So I get used to myself. And I said, okay. And I said, so you'll come to the salon. She goes, you can't come to the hotel. And I said, no, I'd rather do it in the salon because I have the hair colorist there. And I have the guy that take out the extensions there. And I don't want all those people piled up in your, you know, your penthouse or your apartment that you're staying in. I said, and it also gives me the flexibility. I says, don't worry, I'm not going to have the salon filled with people. That you'll you'll be the only one there. But and, you didn't want all the opinions either in, in her well around her. Well, I I just wanted her. I wanted to treat her like a client. You know, um, she came in with three people and. You know, I said, all right, this is my plan. So we're going to go here. Are you good at good with this? She goes, let's start. You know, so I said, oh, Robert, come over, take all the extensions out. He unhooked them all. You know, once it was all out, I went and had her shampooed and I just started cutting her hair. And she's like, well, where are you going to go with? And I says, you know, I'm just going to cut and I'm going to tweak it and I'm going to get it where I, I think it looks great on you. And, you know, I had her turn her head to the side and to the profile so all the balance was there. And I, and I said, put your hands through it. And she moved it around and she goes, Oh my God. And then she started giggling. And I go, you look so great when you giggle. She goes, I hate my smile. I said, I love your smile. And I says, you, I says, when you don't realize you're smiling, it's so, it's so adorable. And she goes, adorable. She goes, I hate my smile. I says, Oh, come on. I says, let's just have fun. You know? So then I said to her, 
we need to darken your hair because I want a kind of a, a rich brown. I says, it's right now it's in the middle of nowhere. I says, and I don't want it blonde. And she's okay. So she went to the sink. We darkened it and um, she came out and I just blew their hair around. And then I put a pomade in my hand and I just moved it around and stuck it up and made it kind of funky and kind of cool and very Mia Farrow, very Jean Seberg. And, and she was like, Oh my God, it's so cute. It, it, I, she just started laughing and she was like, I go, uh, are you laughing? Cause you like it? Or are you laughing? Cause you're like, Oh my God. She goes, oh no, uh, this is great. I love it. I love it. I love it. I love it. So then she says to me, okay. And then she says to her, her people that were with her, she says, I'm not going out until Mark's show. And I go, and I, and I was like, I, I was like, say that again. She goes, I'm going to go lock myself in, in my hotel room until Mark's show. Cause I want to present it at Mark's show. And I go present what she goes, my new look. And I go, you're going to be in the hotel room from Friday till Monday. She goes, well, yeah, I don't need to go anywhere. I mean, you know, I could, you know, I'll just stay in my room. And so, um, uh, she went with, uh, uh, Jennifer Lopez and Jennifer had her hair in a ponytail and she was like, Oh my God, you look amazing. She started getting, she goes, Oh, Victoria, you look so heaven. You know, she was like, it, it, you know, she said, of course, Garrett, of course, Garrett, you know? So then the pictures were taken It went all viral and, you know, they did interviews and all this. And did that. she smile? She smirked. Yeah. She gave oh, it. She oh, curled, we got a smirk. She, oh, she, good. she curled her lip. And when you see the pictures, <laughs> she knows she owns the moment. And it was just heaven. It was just, um, you know, simple black zip up dress up the back, you know, no, hardly no jewelry, you know, just, just the, the, you know, she was, how would you say it? She was revealed, you know what I mean? And I, I worked out, I cut her, you know, then I, we did some covers and, you know, I worked with her and then she says, and how do I grow this out if I want to grow it out a little bit? I said, just start letting it grow. She goes, but don't I need a haircut like every six weeks? I go, no, just let it grow. It'll turn, it'll morph into something else. So during that period, you know, she kept it short for quite a while and then she started letting it grow and it started morphing into something else and she was having fun with it. You know, you'd see her at, you know, soccer games with the kids and you'd see her out and about and, you know, it, it was great. It, you know. That's a thought, thinking of uh, Victoria Beckham at a, her kid's soccer game. No, her husband's soccer game. <laughs> oh. <laughs> well, you can tell how into sports I am, of course. <laughs> I'm picturing her being the mom who brings the orange slices. <laughs> And the cups of water. No, I don't like, think I don't think she goes that far. And six inch But heels. she had they do have she does have control. She knows Karen, the kids, you know. Give me something about your career or life that didn't pan out successfully. Why like do you feel like why don't you have why don't you still have a salon or you had a brand before you had R and Co that you know I thought was great, but it's not around anymore. How, why do things, why well, don't two, things? In- two, two things are separate. The, okay. the product line was a dream that I had. And it was it, the inspiration for that product line called Garen New York was because I was on a set most of the time. And I had 10 girls 
max, minimum max on a set. And I needed products for their hair because every manufacturer was too many things, you know, like to choose from. And I wanted to make it simple. I needed something that could control Karen Elson's hair. I needed something that could do something with Giselle's hair. I needed something that Linda I could use on Linda's hair. You know, because remember, I was transforming hair textures at the time or working with the hair textures in the in the mm-hmm. 90s. You know, this is the 90s. And so we uh, investigated a lot of uh, uh, chemists and uh, 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 a, a lot of people, and we were given names of uh, professionals that would work on the line and produce it. And then we asked these people, well, how much startup money do we need? And they basically said, well, you need this kind of number. And a friend of mine found an investor and some of my money went into it and the investor put his money into it. And then, you know, you have to, as you do with makeup, you have to have a seasonal add-on every season. You know, you've got to grow. And we did our first round and it was 10 products or 11. And um, it was specific for certain kinds of hair and then certain products to style the hair. And that was very successful. And I had tons of coverage. It was everywhere and it sold. It was selling in salons and people were, you know, it was very exclusive. And um, so then we end up having to do the second round and I started working on it. And then we hit the wall because we had the Bernie Madoff situation, which, which was um, a lot of people with tons of money were stricken by that. Then you had Lehman brothers that went under, you know, so they lost stock there. So the stock market crashed in 2008 and my investor was real heavy on the stocks and his stocks just just the bottom fell out of his life and i mean it was horrible for him and you know there's just no way he was going to be able to put more money in you know and so i started relying on my own money and then i realized i came out with the fragrance for hair fragrances and i did that one on my own but then I couldn't keep the, the, um, I was in Sephora, you know, but I couldn't keep the volume of new things coming forward. So it kind of stayed at where it was for a while. It kept its, its, you know, its cachet, but then, you know, it, you, what are you going to do with it? You can't sell it because it didn't have enough, it didn't have enough dollars that it was bringing in. So, that was a learning experience. It was a learning curve. I think the hardest part was when I lost the salon. And it wasn't because of my, it was of my being naive and not being on top of what was going on. And to just close down, I was more upset about all my kids, all the people that worked for me. Um, that was something that really was killing me. But can I ask why did it uh, have to close? It had to close because I had poor money managers, and um, if, I'm not talking about my 
my manager and my assistant manager. I'm talking about the comptroller and I'm talking about this, the uh, the accountants and the CFO. Um, they were manipulating the monies and they were whatever they did. They just, you know, they destroyed it. They destroyed everything about everything that I had worked so hard for. My salon was like a family. I mean, I lived, I've had three salons on Fifth Avenue during the set from the seventies on, and they were so, um, um, elite meaning in legendary locations to the Plaza, uh, Sherry Netherland, the Bergdorf's, the Bendels, Bergdorf's that, it was all about customer service and it was all about exclusivity and not being, um, what would you want to call it? Uh, a place to gather to be, it wasn't a gossipy salon. Mm -hmm. Do you do, how did you, how did you deal with that disappointment? How long did it last? And, and what did you do to, to move past it? I think I finally moved past it uh, when COVID hit. It took wow. that long. And the reason for that is because these kids were all displaced again. And it, the reality was I was displaced again. Having had that experience and that you felt so responsible for people's careers and everything, does that, how do you feel? Do you want another salon? Is that a dream of yours? No, I, I'm past, you know, now that I'm doing all this with R and Co and basically, you know, we created the blue Arnco Blue and it's BLEU um, because it is um, one of the most luxurious uh, products out in the. I mean, the the whole thing from the packaging being you know biodegradable. It goes back, everything goes back to the earth. Um, the products are all vegan. Um, the performance of everything is just spectacular and. That's how amazing R and Co is because they went along and they went all the way, all the way in on it. And I love the packaging too. It reminds me of Guy Bourdon or something. Yeah, I was inspired from Saint Laurent and um, in what like my first show when I went with Irving Penn and Polly Mellon, and all the taffetas came down at the end of the the show, and it was this this purple and this this green and this red orange and this this Moroccan blue. And I was just like, those colors resonate in my brain, the yellow. I mean, there's just those, the Solarant palette was just so strong for me. Um, and I guess it was the beginning of my career. So it was, it, it means something to me, you know? Oh, Garen, what about Majorelle blue? <laughs> <laughs> I had to get that one in there. Um, Garen, if you could go back in time, and visit yourself somewhere, when would it be? And what would you say? Visit myself somewhere. God, I don't, um, I guess when I met Tom or I had my son, what would you tell yourself? I would pinch myself and say, um, what's our journey going to be like? Because it was a beginning of the journey. You know, it's a journey that I went on. Do you have time for a game? Sure, I'm up for it. Okay. So this is a rapid fire word association. 
Um, I'm going to mention someone or something and in a word or, you know, a few words, you're Garen, I'm not going to tell you what to do. Um, just tell me what, what comes to mind. Okay. Mm-hmm. Vidal Sassoon. Geometric. Christy Brinkley. She'll always be around. Irving Penn. Master brilliant. Stephen Mizell. Master. Carolyn Murphy. Charming and beautiful. Anna Wintour. Vogue. Cecil Beaton. Uh, Camp. Paul Cavaco. Brilliant. Anita Pallenberg. Gorgeous. Kevin O'Quan. Uh, artist extraordinaire. Halston. Beyond brilliant. Avedon. Portrait. Liza Minnelli. New York, New York. Jean Seberg. Complicated. Iman. Amazing. Madonna. Forever. Pat McGrath. Mother. <laughs> Mother. Um, I didn't mean to come out that way. No, but every, I think she is mother, right? She's mother. <laughs> <laughs> and she's owning the world right now. Yeah. Guido. Brilliant. Naomi. One of my babies. Lori Goldstein. Joan Rivers. <laughs> Tawny Goodman. She's family friend. Brilliant. Fra- Francois Nars. Oh, exceptionally brilliant. Valentino. Um, Couture. Margot Hemingway. Gone too soon. Jerry Hall. She was my first, um, my first model that represented Garen at the Plaza. Wow. Faye Dunaway. Chinatown in Bonnie and Clyde. Grace Jones. Flat top. Antonio Lopez. Brilliant. He did sketches of of hair for me, and he was such a wonderful person. Stephen Klein? He's he's part of my soul. I've known him forever, um, even before he became a photographer. Wow. Yeah, and uh, we worked so well together. And if anyone pushes boundaries, it's a certain specific boundary he pushes. I saw you've been working a lot with him this year or whatever. Not the last year. time we all worked, <laughs> not this year, your models.com first page was a lot of Stephen Klein. How do you say? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> uh, Dovima. Oh, legend. Tina Chow. Legend. Verushka. Beyond extraordinary. China Machado. Oh, oh, 
I worked on her last ad campaign before she passed away. Um, she just was, she was full of life. Eyes of Laura Mars. Believe it or not, I was asked to do that. And John Saha did it. And he is a brilliant, one of the most brilliant, iconic hairdressers that I was my contemporary that we lost too soon. He was the next person on my list. That's so funny. Uh, he, he is, he created the shag. No offense, um, Sally, but he was the original. Wow. Um, blow up film. Varushka. Shampoo. Warren Beatty and, and that black uh, backless dress that. The best. Uh, the dress. Julie Christie wore. wore. It's my yeah. favorite dress I've, of, of all time. I think a celebrity should actually should wear it with the long sleeves and then the mini. God help them if they can. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> the last one is, and I want to know what the hell happened to it because I can't find it anywhere. The movie portfolio. The movie portfolio. Yeah, with um, it had everyone in it: Stephen Mizell, all of the models. Oh, is this where he is taking pictures of the girls as a, like in a rock band? Yes. I would say that that that's a camp, you know, it's, yeah. it's, it's where we were at that time though. You know, it all is, well, I mean, you know, um, you know, like Isaac's unzipped, you know, that we were in that, you know, and it was, it was amazing to do something like that. Well, thank you, Garen, for, uh, agreeing to do this and also for being so open and honest and sharing your stories of, you know, your extensive and impressive career. And I just, I have to say that one of the best things for me about starting this podcast, I only started two months ago is that I have been able to talk to people like yourself who I would not probably not have an opportunity to. And, um, it's just really amazing for me to be able to uh, get to know you, even if it's over a podcast. <laughs> well, someday we'll get to meet each other. <laughs> yeah, you can chop all my hair off. <laughs> Except I'll I'll react to it in a really like <laughs> negative way and be like, "You ruined me." <laughs> so that sound from drama to calm. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> drama calm. Karen and Quinn take the streets. Um, thank you so much, Garen, and um, have a great rest of your day. You too. Okay. Okay. Thank you. Bye bye.